Welcome to episode 9 of Social Distancing the Church. Today I am here with Dan Iso of Leader Alliance. Um, it's a small farming community in western Saskatchewan and current stage of reopening plan for Saskatchewan right now is 4.2 which requires distancing requirements. Um, uh, congregations are capped at uh, 150 or whatever you can socially distance at and singing with masks are required. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add there, Dan? I think you've got us pegged. Yep. Yeah. So starting with the first question, how did you transition to not being able to hold services in person? Very quickly. We um, we had been streaming our services through Facebook for quite a while already, and so when the time came, we kind of had the rudimentary pieces already there, and then we were going to hold services up until that Sunday. I can't remember the date actually, mid March, and then the legislation changed or the announcement came very quickly, and so we sent a message out to everybody. We did it on Facebook, and then we put signs up on the door, and that was and the transition was. It was within 48 hours from the announcement to the day, from the moment we closed services. So it was a bit of a shock because uh, we had thought it would be more of a gradual transition. Yeah, that was kind of what I've heard from every churches. It was very much a sudden uh, shock in where you have to transition extremely quickly. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of mentioned you were already on Facebook and doing services there. Um, right. Where, what was your um, online presence before COVID? It, it was very simple. I mean, we have we have snowbirds and people who go camping in the summertime, so we always wanted to do something for them. And we also have shut-ins in our communities. We were thinking of ways, when I came, I've just been here a year, uh, of ways of connecting with people who can't physically be here. And so I think the first or second Sunday, we just took a, a phone and you know put it in a little frame and did you, did Facebook Live. So it was very simple because it's, it's one or two clicks. You don't need a lot of hardware. You don't need really a lot of expertise. So that was already, that structure was already in place. Uh, and so it, it was the beginnings of it. And then once, of course, things were shut down, we realized we needed to, um, to increase or up our game substantially. Okay. And so what kind of, it seems like you were primarily on Facebook. Was there other platforms yeah. you were really working on? Yeah. And then we realized that not everybody was in our Facebook group, that Facebook groups are limited to um, people who have Facebook and not everybody is, everybody my age maybe, but uh, not everybody's on Facebook and YouTube was a broader platform and it was more open. And so we transitioned over to YouTube and then we would just put a link from our YouTube uh channel onto our Facebook page. So I think it, it, it broadened who could access uh, what we were uh, pr producing, uh, working on. Yeah, that's yeah. something I've found as well is that it very much having YouTube, it's cross-platform. Like everybody's on YouTube, not yeah. everybody's on Instagram, not everybody's on Facebook. Yes. But YouTube's the one where everybody is on, so. Yeah, it's a big, it's a broader access for sure. 
Um, what difficulties have you had in transitioning to online? Um, oh boy. <laughs> because like rural churches, you have the reputation of being low tech. So what struggles have you faced and how did you solve them? Oh boy, you're right. There is kind of a, a perception of rural churches as being antiquated or disconnected. And that's a, every reputation is re, um, born of some level of reality. So I'm, I'm, that's a fair, fair statement. Um, we, we had three, three, no, three or four. I'll kind of run them through them quick. First is just the hardware issue. We didn't have hardware. I mean, all we had was a phone. So we had to up our hardware game very, very quickly. Now it's very fortunate. My brother-in-law is the former AV guy from Center Street Evangelical in Calgary. Now he's no longer there, but he's an IT guy by trade. So I just gave Jack a call and Jack said, I'll send you this, I'll send you this, I'll send you this, this is what you need. And then we could do conversations and chats. So the hardware end of it, we had an ace in the hole through Jack. And that's really helped us. And he was able to get the right hardware to suit our needs and help us install it and do the mechanics of it. So that was the first part. The, the greater challenge was training people to use the hardware. Because our sound guys are, you know, they're, they're used to the hardware they have. And some of the issues were new. And so that's probably been the biggest challenge we've had is getting people to understand how to use the hardware effectively. And that's been really a, a struggle for us. Um, I think that was probably the second challenge. And the third challenge, of course, is rural internet is is, is terrible. Uh, I'm not sure what you get in Saskatoon, but the best we can get in through SaskTel right now is 10 up, 10 down and one up. So that's pretty, pretty low. So we've tried streaming and, and it, we tried it for probably half a dozen Sundays. And finally last week I said enough's enough. It's just not working, right? There's so many issues with streaming. So, um, and then uploading a video. So when I do a, a service, it takes 24 hours for it to upload. So you kind of set it, I have to have a second computer and I set it up and, and then I babysit it. You, know, you kind of yeah. make, make sure yeah. Then every once in a while it, it'll, it'll log out or it'll glitch and you'll be 89% and you think, oh, I just wasted 20, not wasted, but spent 20 hours trying to get this to upload. And there's always a bit of anxiety, you know, the next day to see if it works. So rural wise, as far as getting hardware, we were very fortunate. Um, at training people for hardware and then just our internet issues really were the were the the bottleneck in the entire hardware that's the the mechanical side of it um our people are, are surprisingly adaptable to technologies so i was i was excited about that it was they they wanted to do it this way you know they went online but one of our issues of course is extreme rural people who are on acreages or ranches 20 miles out their internet's even worse than ours uh, so that was one of the challenges we faced, but also was some adaptability. Some of our seniors, uh, they're not on Facebook, right? We have seniors that don't have internet. So those were some of the social challenges that we faced, but never a problem with people adapting to it or wanting to get online or participate at some level, or at least watch uh, the internet. So with our seniors, what I did was I finally broke out the old DVD burning software again. And I had to go into the community and said, does anybody have burnable you know, uh, CDRs? And people from the community donated a stack of CDRs. So I burned DVDs and gave them to our seniors who didn't have internet. And then for our extreme rural people, um, I kind of introduced them to software that they could download YouTube videos. So they would set it up the night before, download the video. And then once it's downloaded to an MP4, MP4 they could watch it, watch it properly. So I don't think there's anything insurmountable with the right tools. 
we faced. Yeah, it was fun burning DVDs again. It's been years <laughs> since I did that. I had to find the software. <laughs> um, yeah, like very much sound text because I've done sound both at Westgate and at Ambrose. Um, and very much streaming for sound. It's like this whole new world where you like, yeah. even like you have to think of everything differently because um, a lot of churches are smaller sized churches. You don't need any mics on the drums because they no, carry. Right. But yeah. oh, the piano. Yeah. yeah. And it's whatever comes through the mix goes onto YouTube. Well, in the in the house sound is good. I'm fairly loud, so they don't mic me very loud. They say we don't mic the drums, we don't mic the piano, or they'll un or if someone sings loud, they'll under mic them a bit. So the mix is really unbalanced or absent. You know, some Sundays all you could hear was the lead vocal. Um, so you're right. You have to rethink how you're going to put up. And so because of that, what we did is I actually just went back to. Uh, a house sound. I bought a shotgun mic for top of the camera, and now we get all the acoustics from the house. So you get crying babies and coughs, but that's part of the experience of going to church, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And the claps. Um, Go cheers, though. And then, like, the other idea, so you were actually really smart in trying to figure out how to reach those that are super hard to reach, and I wouldn't right. have thought of, like, burning CDs and connecting with people that way um one thing does your computer have it does your computer even have a dvd burner anymore yes mine does <laughs> um my desktop does um i i haven't used it and i've had this computer for a year but exactly. it's there <laughs> um another thought that we've been kind of exploring at westgate that might work in situations like that is a watch party where yeah. groups get together and watch together if they're already in fellowship. Yeah, and that's what we encouraged. As people were able to go into family groups or extended family groups, we said invite people over, and that way you can make it feel, you know, we talk about embodiment, right? You can actually connect with people. So in our home, what we did was we had our neighbors just down the road um, who come to church as well. They came every Sunday down to our place. So we watched with them. And then as we were able to expand the bubble into community groups, we would invite different couples who were already or people that we knew in our bubble. So Sunday morning wasn't just, you know, my family sitting in front of the TV. It was always us and somebody else. And then my wife would cook lunch and we would have lunch together. So it, ex it, it kept that little sense of community together. Yeah, that's a really smart thing in having you lead by example, then it just kind of gets people more into it. Um, my next question, um, every church was faced with the deciding on pre-recorded versus live streaming their services. Right. Why did you decide on live streaming initially? Initially, because <laughs> it's easier, to be honest. Yeah. You don't have to edit it. You don't have to upload it. It's it's you hit the button, you hit record, or you go live, and then hit end stream. So the sheer convenience of it is there. Uh, also, the immediacy of it. There's a sense of when you're watching, let's say you're in Vancouver watching us, you, you sense Sunday morning at 11, you're there. Um, that was part of the advantage of it. And of course, the disadvantage, we can't run into all kinds of technical issues. One Sunday, 
whether it was the upload or the stream or what happened on YouTube, but it slowed the audio down about 50%. And so um, our poor singers, you know, she's singing beautifully, but she's kind of going, and the the video is is on time, but the audio just warped it out and it was so frustrating. So I said, enough, enough. We're going to go back to editing in-house or in, in computer and then uploading to YouTube. So it'll just be a week late. Yeah. So I wish we had the, the speed you guys do. Even we've had problems like at Ambo's one day, middle of Calgary, I was streaming for the chapel back in March, maybe early April. Um, and my upload speed was one megabyte per second. Yeah, that's the best <laughs> we can do. <laughs> yeah, it's you very much realize, oh, this even in a metropolis like Calgary, you're not guaranteed internet either. So yeah. having something like pre-recording where you guys are struggling to begin with, it gives you a safety net. Yeah. And the advantage of pre-recording is you can do do-overs if there's a problem, or you can edit out, you can, you, you can transition, you can do some things. Live is just, because we're doing it with one camera, right? It's a single shot. Yeah. And if you do it pre-record, you can do multiple shots. You can do transitions and add a little of those technical flourishes that a single camera shot can't do. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is you can also do do-overs and then you go through your sermon two or three times because you're nitpicking. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can say, oh, I didn't like that. <laughs> so the nice thing about a stream is you just go once, and you stumble over your words, oh well, you gotta keep going. Mm-hmm. Or the dog barks in the background, or... And it's funny what people pick up on. There was one where we, we did it out of our living room in front of the fireplace, and the cat walked in, and I tracked the cat as I, as he was coming in. And people said, what were you looking at? And like, oh, wow, people are paying attention to what's going on. I said, well, actually, I was just... Because he was about to climb my leg, right? So, uh, yeah, people do pay attention. So while we've talked about like all the negatives of the technical hurdles, what aspects of online services have you been enjoying? Um, and what are some strengths that you have been noticing in an online format? I guess the, you know, the, the, the thing everybody's talking about is the access people are having. We, we know from our um, metrics and from actually from emails and conversations we've had with people that we're reaching a broader broader group of people. We have people in Vancouver watch us and people in Ontario watch us. So obviously it removes the geographic limitations of your community, uh, which is really neat. And I've had some interesting chats and conversations and connections with people, you know, fairly broad across Canada. So, you know, at our peak, we were having around over 200 views. Now, of course, we know not everybody hangs out the whole time. But, you know, we went from 50 people on a Sunday to 200 views on a Sunday. So there's obviously a, a deeper and broader connection um, that I think that's the one of the great strengths of it. Uh, also, I love the creativity it allows for you because you can pick up the camera and go outside. You know, our, our early series was called The Location is the Lesson. So you know, I did one in a butcher house. I did one in my bike shed. I did one out in a field. Um, and so you it creates a lot of variety to it, which is you can't do on a Sunday morning, right? Um, so that was kind of neat. I, I love the freedom of that. And I love being able to include elements that you can't always do live. So we did a series called uh, 
10 minutes or 12 minutes with turned into half an hour with where I would interview people. And we would do those privately, knowing full well they would be broadcast publicly. But it allowed for some intimacy and people were more open than it would be if I sat them on a platform in front of 50 people. They're not going to be as transparent or as comfortable. So it allowed a variety of elements and will continue to do so that we simply can't do in a single service setting. So I love the variety, opportunity for creativity, um, those kind of things uh, that really online allows you to do. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you mentioned partially the intimacy and it's also, while it allows people to open up more, it also allows people to join in on services that they wanted. In Absolutely. a previous episode I've done, they were having people who wouldn't come up on a stage, but they were doing it over a Zoom-like program and people were willing to do a prayer on a living room couch in front of the entire congregation, but they wouldn't go up onto the stage. Absolutely, yeah, it, it removes that fear barrier. You know, we all talk about people's fears and public speaking continues to be one of people's greatest fears. And it, it alleviates that or removes that uh, that obstacle for people. Yeah, good point. Um, but, and then my next question is, how have you maintained a sense of community? Because that's a big struggle people are finding just in general is a lack of community during these times. So Absolutely. what have you been doing at Leader Alliance to maintain community? That's a, I think of all the things, and you know, one in, within your question, whether we get to it or not, is the sense of embodiment, right? The word becomes flesh. And how the church is this living body working together. And when we take away that corporeal element, what does it do to community? I think that's really the issue that's coming out of this and the one we're all talking about. But um, I think that's the biggest hurdle. Um, I'm not sure if anybody, I don't think we did it well, and I'm not sure if anybody is doing it well of, of maintaining or building community. Um, and we have to be careful how we define that term uh, within this digital format. I mean, we do things like we posted just about every day on Facebook to our Facebook group. Uh, you know, either a video or a link or even we did PDF arts and crafts for the kids. So that was early. We tried to maintain those connections, um, certainly email everybody as much as we can. Um, yeah, it was probably it's part of the hardest thing. And I would say least successful thing that we've done. Yeah, you can get the message out in all kinds of medium. I'll tell you a funny story. We had a, a guy who was sort of coming to church, but sort of not coming to church. And finally, one Sunday he came and um, I said, hey, you know, just get you to stand up. And I said, take out your phone. Yeah, I said, find me a better preacher than I am. And he chuckled, right? Yeah, you can find some pretty quick. I said, find better music than we had. I went to YouTube. I said, but can you find this? And then I hugged him. And he said, right. And the, you know, the, the congregation kind of chuckles and laughs. But they get the point. You can find, as far as resources, all kinds of better things. But you can't get that human contact that we long for uh, outside a community. Yeah. So I would say not well. Yeah. Um, that's kind of one of the things where it's like trying to figure out how to um, build community online is a lot of what churches are struggling with. Um, and even as I've, this is now the ninth episode I've done, and that's one of the questions where people are struggling 
all the different pastors I've talked to, they're struggling on finding an answer for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think we have to define the word community within the question. I mean, I, I belong to several online communities that are really beneficial. You know, we chat about things, there's support groups, uh, there, and so I find community with those, but they're different than me sitting having coffee with you across the table, right? Yeah. And so I think we need to define community. Um, my last kind of tech-oriented question is, what do you see as the future of technology in worship going forward? Because we have been having a further reliance of tech in our worship services and life in general. And once the restrictions have ceased, how do you predict the church will negotiate the relationship with technology? Hmm. My sense is we like technology. Like we're, our president has, you know, just gave a, in his president's report about embracing technology. So there's a push to embrace technology and to continue down this path um, to communicate the message, not to build community necessarily, but to communicate the message. Um, I see it as a complementary role, not as, a, as the primary role of building community. For us in many ways, it's like I say, we've got seniors in our community. I can go visit them, but they can watch us on Sunday. So it becomes an extension of who we are, uh, a subordinate extension, not a primary relation. You know, we're not primarily an online community. We're primarily a face-to-face -face community. Uh, but I see it as a good supporting element and it allows people to you know, go down to the park in the summertime with their trailer, watch us on Sunday and stay abreast of things. And then when they come back, they go, oh, okay, yeah, we know where the church is at and what's been going on. So they still feel connected. So I like its power to maintain that level of connection. So I certainly, yeah, we've, you know, we've updated our camera um, and some of those things so that I think we're probably as good as we can get technically right now. Um, and we will continue on uh, with hopefully the, the standard we can, such as we can, with the best we can uh, here in rural Saskatchewan. Yeah. I don't see as good. Yeah. And I think the idea of having people stay connected because during the summers people aren't, I think that's a very valid point where it's when COVID hit, it kind of hits a good time where it's like people aren't always in services to begin with. And so, as you mentioned, keeping those people quasi connected in a sense. Yeah, oh, for sure. Okay, so moving on to the theology section of it, what adaptions to your service did you make in switching to an online format? Because as Marshall McLuhan says, the medium is the message. And this means yes. that some changes would have to be made when transitioning from in-person services to online services. Yeah, you're asking the right question now. I mean, you already have been asking the right questions all along, but are you familiar with Neil Postman? I don't think so. Oh, you'd love Postman. Uh, Technopoly, amusing ourselves to death. And what was his last, he's not with us anymore. What was the last one? Building a bridge to the 18th century. Um, in amusing ourselves to death, Postman addresses this very issue of how medium and technology are two different things, you know, uh, and how we communicate differently through his great line is you can't do ventriloquism on the radio, you know, it just doesn't work, right? Or tap dancing, you know, and Postman argues that you can't do religion 
on television. And back in his day, he was addressing the issue of television, how the medium or the technology itself changes the nature of the message. Uh, and Postman talks about the, the sacred and the profane. He says, you know, the assembly is sacred. Your living room is a profane place, not in the, in the negative sense, but it's not a sacred place, right? So when you're watching a YouTube video, you can accelerate the voice, you can pause, you can get up. Uh, you are in charge of the relationship. You are in charge of the experience. You control the experience, right? The old twilights or, or um, you know, the beginning, we control the vertical, we control the horizontal, we control. And so it changes our theology just by using it. So McLaurin's right. Um, and so we've been challenged with how do we live out this gospel message, which is the word became flesh and dwelt among us uh, to a place where that's not really happening. Um, I think we have to be aware of how the technology is changing our message because it loses that, like I say, with my illustration of the young man, it loses the, the physical hug. Um, one of the things that we always did after services was had coffee together. You know, we would transition and each family would take a turn bringing food and people would stay for an hour, hour and a half after. Well, we lost that completely. So for us, we lost a major chunk of what we were as a community. And we're asking ourselves, how can we do that again as quickly as possible? Um, so it changed the nature of it. And also, you, you know, you alluded at the beginning, singing has changed uh, those kind of things. It's changed the expressions of our faith and our obedience to those expressions. Um, so theologically, we've had to shift from the, the corporeal embodiment side of things to the uh, communicating information. I don't think we're conscious of the shift technology has for us and what it's going to do to us. No one can predict um, what it's going to do. You think about Johannes Gutenberg in 1440 when he invented the printing press, right? He was a devout Catholic. If he knew that would have been used to foster the Protestant Reformation and ultimately to break the, you think he would have invented it. You know, he had no concept of the impact that his piece of technology was going to have on his faith and his faith community. I think we, we've invented this tool and we will see in the weeks, months, years and decades, especially with your generation, right, who are very embracing of what that does to us theologically. Who is Jesus when he is on this screen versus who is Jesus when you and I are sitting um, at, at the restaurant having coffee together? So I don't know if I have an answer to that question, but I have lots of questions about the answer. Yeah, I'm currently trying to like process where it's like what you said in the whole idea of kind of what Jesus do we present through a screen? Uh, oh, very good question. Brandon. Very good. Question. Yeah. Who is this Jesus on the screen? There's a wonderful book. Oh, I'll send you a link to it later on about uh, God on the small screen and this uh pastor she watched a christian broadcast i think for 24 hours straight and she just processed all the message that was coming across on the screen and what it did to her and her friends but uh i'll, I'll send you a link in the email fascinating book and fun to read yeah um and kind of a different way i wanted to take that kind of question of um how our online format has changed um is there like changes besides just the coffee that you've made to your services where like you had a component that you've just found absolutely flops online 
yeah, a couple of things. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, because we can't call kids up to the front anymore because they have to stay in their parent group. So that changed. Um, what else doesn't work necessarily online? You, yeah, the tone has changed completely. Of course, singing is gone for the most part, unless you sing with masks. And I think you're more aware now, though, because when before when the door was closed, you knew you could say things in-house. Uh, and now knowing that it's being broadcast and it's open broadcast, anybody can watch it. I think we're all a little more conscious of what we say or don't say. I think we uh, self-edit. I don't want to say we, um, you know, no, we don't silence ourselves, but I think we edit ourselves a lot. I'm a lot more aware of thinking if a stranger who didn't know me, who didn't know our community heard this outside of the context of our community, how would they perceive this? Or if a government official or agent. Uh, one of the things we did was when the new legislation came out or the enactment for open, for services, what we were allowed to do, I printed off copies of that, took it to the RCMP, to the health district and the town office and said, these are the guidelines upon which our church will be opening if you have any questions. So on Sunday, if you see cars lined up, we will be operating within these guidelines. So we were being proactive in assuring our community and the, uh, the officials of our community how we were going to be operating. So I'm more aware of those issues where I might, I don't want to say anything derogatory, but you know, you might just let something in-house slide where now you're going, eh, what if somebody heard that? What would they think? Yeah, I think we're more aware of that. That's a very interesting point. And another thing that like I've noticed in this conversation of how you've um, changed stuff, it's the idea of not doing everything in the sanctuary, especially in the early stages, but you were willing yeah. to try stuff. So you were, you were changing your format in a sense because you were embracing what new opportunities you've had absolutely yeah it's a tool right and let's use it to the extent that we can um your use of the tool it very much made me remember um in a previous episode where it's it's a tool not a master though like you can use yeah. it and you can do some fantastic stuff you just you absolutely. run into problems when he becomes a master. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And moving on to the next question. Um, I saw last night that you were hosting a Bible study on YouTube. Um, how has that been going and how long have you been doing something like that? We, it all started with a lady um, that I call, I call her mom. And mom uh, was unable to get out. And so when this started out, she said, I'd like to attend your Bible study. And so I said, well, mom, we could figure something out. So we started um, just, yeah, I started just doing Bible study by myself because no one would come. So I started here in my office. So basically since March, we've been doing it that way. And I just do it live online. And then, then people can ask questions because we do it through YouTube. And then... Um, one of the people that attend now that attends Bible study, she has her phone beside her. And so when people ask questions, she kind of asks me them on, on their behalf. So we've been doing that. Well, I'm trying to think if we did stop doing that. We might have stopped for a while, but pretty quick after things shut down, I just continued doing Bible study. I went out to prayer meeting online because of confidentiality issues. But we've been doing Bible study pretty solid, pretty consistently. Yeah. And... 
it I mean it works the way it is and we usually get three or four extra people watching it's not huge but uh, you know to be honest I do it for mom so that's okay and the other thing is is even though you may have like only like three or four people that's three or four people more than if you don't do it that's right yeah that's exactly it you know it's I would do it for one if it was just if it was just mom and I doing it I would happily do a Wednesday night Bible study you know uh, for her I, I don't think we measure we don't we you know we look at the numbers but hopefully they are don't become the measure by which we do things yeah and especially with YouTube giving us such detailed algorithmic feedback it's yeah. super easy to measure the numbers and it's super easy to get discouraged like you know you go oh they tuned out after four minutes like oh okay i guess not you know yeah it, it's the feedback is so immediate and so specific you can easily get discouraged or else your ego can get inflated you know like depends on how you look at it i guess and the other cool thing with like an online um bible study uh conversations i've had previously with people in calgary is nobody would come to a wednesday morning prayer meeting on but once it was on zoom and they don't have to drive across town they were like when on this we yeah yeah you reach a different the people that are going to come will come but you're, re you're right you reach people who might not want to drive across it especially with seniors who can't drive in at night in the dark or who don't want to they can tune in and so it really provides uh, an open door that you didn't have before and that's the good side of it yeah um and it just lowers that barrier of entry even more absolutely absolutely um how have you been approaching communion in this online time uh it's the big struggle and the hot topic right now is do you serve communion sure. do you not serve communion how do you do it so how has leader yeah. lines approached that issue good um our approach is rooted in our theology of course right so i my my um lutheran brother is approaching this very differently than i do my catholic neighbors you know we're, we're we're having this discussion at ministerial about how you do it um when the limitations were down to 10 you know those kind of things so i think it's really entrenched in your theology of how you do this you know do you believe in the necessity of a single loaf and a single cup all those things play into it so i think it's rooted uh in our theology our church is uh, historically congregationalist we were zion congregational uh, back in 1913 so our theology is rooted in german pietism and congregationalism so we view communion as a memorial service not as a sacrament and and again we're getting into the language of, of, of communion but we don't view it as a sacrament we view it as an as an institution or uh, christ ordained these things so so we're okay with not having a single loaf or a single cup so we did Good Friday service online and encouraged people to have elements prepared in their homes and then participated through that. And then once we've reestablished or got together again, I went the, uh, I can hold these up here. This kind of little package. Yeah. Whoops. Wrong direction. Yeah. You're familiar with that, Brandon? I call it airline communion. Yeah. It feels like airline communion. So it's sterile. Um, it meets the requirements. We have uh, several health workers. Uh, nurses and that come to our church so i want to be very 
very aware of what their concerns are about health con concern issues. So, so we went a very sterile path. And when you walk in, they're available at the front, you know, little note, take as many for your family. So, so we're okay with it, doing it online just, and simply rooted in our theology as, as a memorial, not a sacrament. And I know that there are my Alliance colleagues that would disagree with me that it, anyhow, that's not this conversation. Yeah. And having that, um, idea of just having it more as a memorial, it gives you more freedom where, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. But then that freedom also, um, makes it a bit more complex because people who hold it as a higher sacrament, they're like, oh, we can't do it to the requirements that our theology has it. So we're just going to absolutely pass on it for right now. Uh, oh, exactly. And then you have the evangelical churches who their theology normally is of like um, a lower view of communion. And they were the ones who are like, we need to do it. And so it's yeah, kind of this weird subversion. Yeah. Yeah. The irony is that to those to whom this is essential aren't doing it. And to those of us who view it as you know, it would be it's certainly a part of who we are, um, we are pursuing. I had a Lutheran friend drop by and I, I said, well, you know, uh, take one home with you. And he stood there and he looked at it and he said, I am holding the body of blood in Christ in my hand. And he couldn't get past that hurdle. And you could see the gears working in his head as he tried to reconcile his theology with the practicality of a plastic cup and it threw him and it was a great beginning for an ongoing conversation with him but i, I saw it in his eyes where he said this is the body and blood of christ in my hand and i went you're right from your yeah it is yeah fascinating um so Kind of, we've been touching on this at various parts, but COVID is drawing attention to the embodied experience of humanity. And how did you approach embodiment before COVID? And how has this viewpoint been changed, challenged, or infirmed? Yes, the rural church does embodiment, I think, really well. Uh, we are, you know, we are the have coffee, get together, hug you after church. Um, you are important. The pastor drops by for a visit. You know, we go to the nursing home. We have small groups and Bible studies. We're having lunches, coffees, potlucks, dinners, you know, all the time, right? So we are living this out as a part of our lives because we are, you know, we're in many cases, we're family already, <laughs> literally family. Um, and But we want to be that. And that's the strength of rural communities. We know your name. We know where you live and we know your mama. Like, you know, that's kind of the, the connection. So for us to lose that, you could feel a, a great sorrow when we lost that. And we had stretched out through the months when we weren't getting together. And I was thinking, okay, should we reopen the doors or not? I was reluctant, right? Should we jump on it right away? And then we had, uh, we, we recorded a service where we had a praise band. We had about four or five people plus myself, the audio visual person, and I think one or two other people. And you, people just stayed and talked after. Like it was well into the evening. And I saw that, and you could just see the, their eyes light up, connected with one another again and said, we need to get back to this as soon as possible. For me, that was the motivating factor to reconnect with people. So 
COVID placed this huge challenge of where we lost so much of who we were and, and our strength. Um, and so that became the, the great challenge. I'm just, I think I might have forgotten your question already. Oh, the embodiment issue, right? Um, and even now, how do we re-embody together? Because we have you know, physical distancing in the sanctuary, entrances and exits, we can't have. So we're sort of there and you can, we're on the edges of reconnecting at those levels, but we're not there yet because of our cooperation with legislation. So yeah, I, I think the church is at its best when it can reach out literally and, and hug you. Uh, you know, it's not every hawkers that recognize that, but to be physically present is is the message. Yeah, it's been a huge challenge. I do not envy my brethren in places like Westgate or First Alliance or Circle Drive, uh, where they have these large bodies and they're trying to navigate. How do you get together with 150 as the max? Um, how do you reconnect and and what's happening? with reconnection and who's coming back again. Yeah, we're in a very fortunate place that with the current guidelines, we can reconnect again. We can have church, you know. We're average about, a, about 50 on a Sunday and our facility holds about one, you know, we, we have no problems accommodating um, the numbers in our space again. So for a lot of people, it feels kind of like normal again, but it's not gonna happen at Circle Drive. Yeah. Even at Westgate where on a two-service model right now because our congregation size is bigger than what we can see in our auditorium. Absolutely. And so you can't quite reconnect if half your friends are going to the other service. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, I look and say who's recovering well. And I have, you know, several colleagues in our, in our size and we're recovering well. You know, basically people are back. Yeah, I was visiting a small church recently in uh, southern Alberta. And it was like, oh, this is, for the most part, this is what a normal service is again. And I was like, this is, it's a really small farming community church. And so it was like, this is a nice feeling. Yeah, everybody's wearing masks, but it's like the yeah. place isn't feeling awkwardly spaced out. And so, as yeah. you say, the smaller churches right now are able to recover quicker. Yeah, it's fascinating. There was a couple downtown and they, you know, they had their masks on. I was able to talk and they were visiting from out, out of the community. And they said, it's so nice here. We can relax. We don't feel... You know, obviously our community has changes and how we do, certainly how we do business in places. You know, I was at the drugstore with my mask on today and followed the little green arrows on the carpet. And, um, but in a lot of areas, we don't have that sense of of, this, of what the impact has been on us. You know, our, our, one of our, our restaurants closed and we were very sad because we only have two, right? So, you know, that did have an impact. like 50% of the restaurants closing on you. That did have an impact, but they're open again. Yeah. Um, let me quickly scan my sheet. Sure. Um, so a big thing that I've been wondering is how have, how will worship services look going forward? Um, COVID is a good time to start changes as it can be justified for optimizations for online services. Right. And is there changes that have been made during COVID 
that you want to continue going forward? Hmm. Yeah, uh, I think Paul Enns asked the questions, you know, what do we need to start doing because of this? What should we stop doing because of this? You know, he, he was asking those kind of good questions. I say, you're right. What is the good that's come out of this that has allowed us to, and we'll continue, and that's your question. How do we move forward with the good things? I, I think for, for certain, we're gonna, our online community will continue to move forward. And we've invested financially uh, in that. We're not a big church. We don't have huge resources, but the church really was generous when I came forward and said, we need this hardware. Here's what I'd like. Here's the dollars I'd like to spend. And the church said, yep, you know, we, under normal circumstances, I wouldn't have asked for those resources, uh, but because of the exceptional nature of what we're doing. So I think we've made a, a financial and hardware investment, and I think we're gonna, we wanna utilize that and move forward. So I think that's part of it. The online community will continue, uh, and I wanna keep improving it. Um, that I think that's the good that's gonna come out of it, the, the broader spectrum of it. Um, you know, it, it was interesting. One of the questions that we didn't address was how did the spiritual nature of people change during COVID? And I think you, I think, I think it's in your questions, but initially there was, there was a, a ready embrace. People were all of a sudden going, you know, there was a sense where people actually were growing closer to God uh, through the initial experience. And I, in my own personal life too, you know, I certainly, I, did, I prayed more and there was a, a sense of dependence because of, of, of what was happening. And then all of a sudden we all grew, grew numb to it. And it kind of got lethargic after a while. Now it's just fatigue. Um, I sense people are just saying, enough. I just want to you know, restore communities and relationships again. And some of that fatigue has twisted into anger. And I think there's some anger. I know within some of my colleagues, you know, they're, they're being resistant to the to their, uh, issues that are being asked of them. And they are, you know, almost in defiance. And of course, we haven't talked about conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff yet either. But so I, I see the good of it is that we are broader in our spectrum. Uh, we're aware of a community around us um, and we're more aware of the sovereignty of God and that sense of dependency on him. As someone said, this may not be the end, but it feels like a dress rehearsal for it, you know? So it's ramped up our eschatology a little bit. Uh, I think people, want to hear good news from the pulpit they want to hear good news so our music is is good news um, when i came to leader i, I took our, our leadership team aside and i said my goal is to get you to the island of joy and one of our our team turned to look forward and they said tell me about this place where is this island of joy right uh, and so i think uh, part of the church's goals is to continue taking, in a, in a world of anxiety and fear, taking people to the island of joy. If that's not really a theological term, but uh, maybe there's a book in there somewhere. Yeah, and I think it's kind of interesting where, how do you balance that idea of just being the church that is all about joy and how do you face that when there's books like Lamentations where it's like, Absolutely. How do you find that balance in just the grief of the world and not just being like, everything's all good here, follow Jesus and you'll be happy kind of thing. That's right, yeah. Because we have to acknowledge people's anxieties and fears and you know job loss and, and how do we be that church where we do have a place where people can grieve and people can don't have to feel like you know the pasted on smile and the happy clappy, right? 
So how do you balance the, the sorrow and the anxiety? You know, we've seen this increase in mental health issues, what's been happening in Medicine Hat. Um, we see all these issues. So how do we balance those issues with the call to the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But, you know, Brandon, you hit the right word that we haven't landed on in all of this, and that is balance. You know, how do we balance the needs of community? How do we balance the technical aspects? How do we balance the extended church as she reaches? How do we balance the Jesus of intimacy with the circumstance we find ourselves in? Um, how do we balance joy and great, you know, grief? Uh, every pastor carries with them great heartache. And, and I won't illustrate from the week, but this week there was, I had three encounters with people who were in a very difficult place. And I'm not going to walk in and just say, you know, pull yourself up, be joyful, because they're in great pain. Right? And how is the church going to balance the benefits of technology with the price that technology is going to ask of us? You know, the error would be to embrace it wholeheartedly yeah. without considering the repercussions or the consequences. The other side of it would be to reject it wholeheartedly. So, you know, um, balance is the most exciting thing in the world. If you ski or skate or snowboard or do anything like that, you know that balance is really exciting. And if you fall off, it's really painful. But balance is the key. The old line is, you know, the devil doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off on, as long as you fall off. Interesting, like last illustration um, with the horse. Um, well, I'm in rural Saskatchewan. Uh, so, kind of last question is how are you, as you mentioned, you're now back meeting in person, but you're also online as well. So, how was approaching that where you decided, yeah, we'll open up, but we'll keep the online as well i think it's people have been very accepting and patient we have very patient people with us i think people are excited that we're open some were cautious um, and there is genuine you can feel it you know when you come in the room especially the first sunday there was a tangible in the air as people kind of look where do i sit and then of course people are used to sitting in their pew so we had a couple of incidents and we said, well, actually, you can't sit there now. You're, you know, your pew's blocked off or, you know, you, you can't sit with that person you're used to sitting with. Um, and, you know, one of the, the little problems we had with these communities are seniors with arthritis can't navigate them, you know. So how do we help them? Because it's, it's pretty finicky yeah. to open it. Right? Um, so how do we find that moment where, yes, we're open um, and at the same time? So... I think we've been able to strike a balance of it. I think the online side of it, the technological side, is meeting a need uh, of extended communities, like say people uh, far away, even financially. You know, people have been, and that's the other thing we haven't talked about is one of the shifts that we, the major technical shifts we made was in giving because we're predominantly a plate people, right? And people said, how do I give now? You know, and so we had to start online giving, and our, our bookkeeper, who is you know, she's amazing and she for her i don't think it was a major issue because she embraced it uh, but for some of our people how do i do that uh, so there was that and that i think people we may see that ongoing where people continue to give online um, we had people from outside the community uh, give to our church online and so that was it was an affirmation that what we're doing 
is making a connection with people. So we're going to, I see technology as a, as a supporting player, not as the primary player. The primary experience and encounter will be commu physical community, but with this ongoing uh, technical support. And I, I mean, I, I did my little uh, stop motion animations. They were, they were really well received. I want to get back to doing those again and just throw them up online. So um, some of the fun stuff, the novel stuff, I think we'll keep doing just because I, I, I enjoy it. That uh, one thing I <laughs> did was I don't like looking at myself anymore. You know, I, I watch myself online too much. I go, oh. Yeah, I don't like when I um like I did editing for like Amos Shovels online. I'd watch that. I'd make sure my edits were good and everything. And now that I'm now in front of the camera. I don't watch it. <laughs> You're the face, man. You're the face. It's watching yourself online, like. Yeah. Well, apparently Johnny Depp doesn't watch any of his movies, so. <laughs> and so, kind of, the last little bit of going into, like, the hybrid services. Overall, yeah. how do you think that's going, having a hybrid model? Yeah, I think it's going well. I, I think it's something we always need to we're never going to be static. I think we're always going to, you know, ad ad adapt it and change it um, to to the to, to what's happening in the services. Um, yeah, I think I like that the hybrid model. It's a good 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 descriptor. Um, I think it's something we will continue. Uh, you know, I would love if we had better internet in our rural communities, but like you said, even in Calgary, it's not always a guarantee. Yeah, I think the the hybrid model is the way we will the church is going to move forward. I don't think we're going to abandon this model anytime soon. And we're certainly being encouraged from the district and from the president's office to continue in this model. I know of one church that has a, a pretty solid connection to a community in Ontario now. And that community watches their service regularly and has made it their church. So that's exciting stuff, right? When we, when we can do that kind of connection, um, it's no different, I think, than when Paul said, you know, copy these letters and send them to all the churches. The churches always embrace technology, whether it's papyra or whether it's uh, internet. We see it as a tool. God is a tool using God, right? He, he uses, uses, you know, we would say the tool of prayer, the tool of his word. He's, he's embraced technology. He's the author of it, the creator of technology. So I think we're embracing part of his character when we embrace technology. That's a whole other theology, right? the god of technology and his embrace creation use of it yeah yeah something there to scratch okay that's really all i have prepared is there anything else you want to comment on um yeah i think we just need to keep asking the right questions about technology not to get too excited about not to think that this is going to be the be all and end all the this is going to cure the problem and promote the gospel. I'm, I'm old enough to remember when we thought radio was going to change the world. And then we thought television ministry was going to, you know, change the world. Each time a new technology comes, we are quick to embrace it because we see it as the, I don't know, panacea, the, the tool that's going to change everything. And I think we need to embrace it, but recognize its limitations as well and not deny it, uh, but embrace it with, within the framework of its limitations. Yeah, I mean, I grew up, I was raised by television. I have very fond memories of television. So uh, I, I'm part of that generation that was raised by technology and has embraced technology. And I think we'll continue to do so. 
um, just making sure that we're asking it the right questions and not only asking what are we gaining from it, but also what do we stand to lose because of it. Um, early adapters are, are good people because they embrace this stuff quick and they see the potential, but they often don't see the, you know, the, the dark side of it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. but I, it's, it's a tool. It's like a magazine. It, it's like any technology, right? We just, it can be used for good or evil. I can pick up my laptop and bang you on the head with it. Right. It's a good thing. Okay. Well, thank you for joining me today, Dan. Good. Thanks, Brett. I really appreciate it. And uh, it was a compliment to be asked. Thank you, Dan, for all your insights and what you had to share. It was very insightful, both in the tech portion and the theology section. And so thank you for joining me. Um, also, thank you, Odom Rebecca, for providing my intro and outro music. That's been great benefit. And so, yeah, I recommend you check him out. And thank you all who have listened to me on this series. It's been a ton of fun doing. And lastly, check me out on Instagram at Pod Theology. It's where I put like more of the behind the scenes stuff as well as just general kind of updates and there's links to like all the different platforms I'm on there. So yeah, on Instagram is kind of the hub where I direct all my traffic. So yeah, follow me there as well. And thank you for joining me.